0: Welcome to the Shoulda Backed It podcast, our first for the 2021 Spring Carnival. In Melbourne's first Group 1 for the season, the South Australian beast, Behemoth, went back-to-back in the Memsey Stakes. It was a big day for punters as we saw the winning return of crowd favourites, Mars Crusader, Probabil and Ayrton. For the first time in a long time, to talk through all the action is Australia's number one tipster and form analyst, Chris Fenuccio. Welcome, Big V. Straight off the bat, mate, which performance got you most excited at Caulfield on Saturday?
1: Hello, Phil. It's great to be back for the Spring Carnival. It's exciting times now with the all the good horses coming back. and Yeah, I think the, the performance of the day was mass crusader. I mean, it was a, a fill-up for punters. There was a few... There, the, I was expecting a lot of those winners that came out of the day, but you know, there's a few... Few of them where you thought, oh, I'm not going to dive into that price. And Mars Crusader was one of them because he had the, you know, the wide barrier, 1100 meters, and I thought he's a bit of a risk at a dollar ninety, dollar eighty. I don't want to dive into that. But the way he won, I think that was an outstanding performance. And at the moment, I think he's got to be the top pick for the Everest.
0: Yeah, that was certainly the one that got me out of the chair on the weekend. Big V, not only because I had it in a little all up multi, but just because of the way. He won, rounded the field, didn't really look like it was going to win until the last 100 and ate up those uh, those horses in front of it. And look on paper, look to be the winner, but you never know first up, as you say, wide barrier around Caulfield. Anything can kind of happen. So to see that return, as you say, really puts him a strong contender and one of the, the few early contenders already for the uh, Everest moving forward. What do you think they're going to do with him moving towards the Everest? There's, there's a couple options, I suppose, for them moving um, towards that race.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting because know, um, yeah, they might stay in Melbourne. It's just whether what races are down in Melbourne, you know, that they'll go towards the Everest. So I think Santa and Elaine ran at Flemington last year, so they might go to a race like that. But they can also keep the horse in Melbourne because they might have a bit more, oh, not so much race options, but you know, there's not. I don't. There's not as many restrictions down here compared to New South Wales in terms of you know track work and and that type of thing. So they can keep him down in Melbourne and then go up in, go up to Sydney for a lead-up race. So we'll wait and see where he goes. I thought he might have been a bit vulnerable at 1,100 first up because he's a lot better 1,200-metre horse, and he could probably get out to 1,400. So I thought what he did on the weekend was, was pretty good. I'm expecting him to be better at twelve, But it, it, in saying that I think he's my Everest horse, you don't want him to... To miss the start like he did on Saturday, if you you can't win an Everest from back in the field up against that type of opposition like Nature Strip and Classic Legend and whoever else might be there, you know, lost and running. We'll see how good he comes back. So, but if he can jump, I, I can see him being able to settle in the first, you know, first half of the field deeper into his campaign. But we'll just wait and see.
0: Yeah, you took the question out of my mouth there, Big V. I was going to ask you about that because you don't like the habit he's got into there, missing the start. And I can remember early in its career it jumping well, leading and winning by, you know, four or five lengths. So the fact that it now has that little habit is something to be worried about. But when you're you're knocking, you know, 10 and a half second sectionals at the end of a race like that, you know you've got a pretty serious horse about it. So uh, definitely one to watch moving forward, Mask Crusader, and starting to show its real uh, talent, I suppose, after a couple of interesting preps before that. But uh, a couple other big races for on the day, mate. Um, the Memsies, obviously, the big group One there, won by Behemoth, as I noted off the top. It's your should have backed it, horse for the week, so I'm interested to, to hear what you were on and, and what you thought of the race more generally. Yeah, I didn't
1: have much between Behemoth and Tefani, and I've, I've gone with Tefani. I thought she was back to her best, winning those two group ones in Queensland. I mean, there was no knock on Behemoth as well. I just thought, you know, Tefani mapped better, you know, from barrier four you know, behemoth might have had to do a bit of work from out wide to get a, a prominent position but Brett Preble just outrode Craig Williams and you now I sort of uh, we're watching the race uh, Craig Williams had a, a fantastic spot behind red can man he had he was getting covered behind red can man then red can man decided to push forward and they led with him and then you sort of lost that cover so instead of sitting Next to Samson in the run, he's decided to try and get some cover behind Samson, and that's allowed Behemoth, you know, Brett Preble on Behemoth, to make a move and box him in. And also, he also had Bo Rosser boxed him as well. So he's just a um, brilliant ride, right? and I just would have liked Craig Williams to just stayed outside of Samson, and that would have forced Brett Preble to go even wider on Behemoth and that might have been the difference in the result because Brett Preble said afterwards that he thought you know, Behemoth was really tiring in that last 50 to 100 metres but maybe that might have opened it up for Bo Rosa to have won instead because he was held up and in the last stride, I think a stride after the post he was in front of Behemoth so that might have been the difference in changing the result either Bo Rosser or Tefani winning.
0: Yeah well there certainly wasn't much between the top three there and a. I um yeah do take your point around Tafane and Bo Rossa. They were really boxed in and couldn't get out till late, which gave Behemoth that opportunity. I guess to your point though, yeah, what what you, you don't, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't as a jockey. If you, if the, the jockey comes out sits three wide, gets nabbed on the line suddenly it's a bad ride because they didn't take cover and they they were sitting three wide. So I I do think obviously being three wide wasn't a massive detriment for Behemoth just because it's a big horse likes to get into its stride. Um, but then again, I'm not, I'm not sure what the other jockeys really could have done. It's, it's sort of a, a tough situation, but one thing's for sure, uh, all, all three horses are ones that I'll be keeping a very keen eye on as we move forward, and for the second time in two weeks, Bo Rosser and Behemoth had a ding-dong battle, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, it was a great battle between them, and Behemoth winning both times, obviously the first the first time on protest, but I think Bo Rosser is the horse you want to take out for the Rupert Clark. I know a lot of people have already made that point that he's the horse that looks like looks suitable for a, a Rupert Clark. He'll probably, he might carry about 51, 52 kilos and when you compare that to Probabil who at the moment is the all-in favourite for the Sir Rupert Clark and we'll talk about Probabil later Yeah, you know, she's got to win that race with 57 kilos and he's got 52 kilos so I think that might give, give him a bit of the edge so He's the one I want to take out of this race for that Group 1.
0: Well, let's um, let's go straight to Probabil then, mate. Um, that looked a great race for it. I know what you mentioned about being first up and maybe carrying a little bit of weight, but, gee, she just keeps on getting the job done and looks to be in for another big prep this summer, uh, spring, I'd say.
1: Yeah, she's got a great record at Caulfield. She had to really fight for that win, on Saturday, and I think um, she's had a few setbacks leading into that first up run, so I think she might be a little bit behind where she was in the autumn because she faced a similar field in the autumn and won a lot more easily. This time, she really had to dig deep. It was still a, a great performance by her, and she I don't think she has too much more to make up for that Rupert Clark, but you know, maybe I mean, a horse like Bo Rosser, I'll, I'll give the edge to. But she can really improve off this. And maybe third up, we can start looking at her from, you know, maybe a betting proposition. Maybe in a race like the Empire Rose on Derby Day, that looks like a a suitable race for her. I don't want to see her go to the Cox Plate because I think she's a little bit vulnerable at the end of 2000. You know, 1,600-metre race, the Empire Rose looks really perfect for her deeper into the spring.
0: What we do know about Probabil is that she's a consistent mare, so she will uh, she always has a nice first-up record, but she doesn't seem to drop away, in fact, can improve. So, yeah, certainly, again, a horse that will be prominent in the spring. Interesting your point around the Cox Plate. I'll be interested to, to see whether they go that way. Obviously, did last year, but track conditions didn't help. So, moving on, Big V. Uh, my horse that I have as a should have backed it this week was in the last, and it was Ayrton. just thought it was a bit too short, but, again, prove that um, the class edge can be the difference with some of these races?
1: Yeah, it was a tricky set-up for him from barrier nine, so he needed everything to to fall in place for him, and and, and it has, but he's, that was a great win by Ayrton. You know, I think he's the one. If he goes to the Sir Rupert Clark, I probably got it back him over by Rossa, but I don't think that's the plan. I think the plan is to go to Sydney. So, but if Mick Price has a change of plans and goes to the Sir Rupert Clark, then that would change my point of view on that race. But I'm basing that on the on what I'm reading, that they'll go to Sydney with him. Fantastic win. You know, he's the one you've got to obviously follow for the Golden Eagle. King Magnus has been very good this campaign. I just wonder how much more, you know, is there any improvement, any improvement left in him? He probably needs to keep to this grade. And we really did see... Regards Marie running third, you know, really improve off that first up run, which was in tougher company. So maybe this might also be Regards Marie's, you know, level where she's at or where he's at, I think. I think that's a a gelding.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of Regards Marie. Just thought this might have been a little bit too strong for it. But, you know, a nice third, as you said uh their big V, but sounds like you've already got a lineup of horses that you're going to back in the Surupa Clark. So that that's exciting for you, mate. You might have a three or four bet strategy by the end of this podcast.
1: Well, I don't think Anthony's going to go to the Surupa Clark, and I'm prepared to take on Probabil. I'll go with Bo Rossa. I think there's a few horses that are high up in the market as well that won't be running in in that race. So I think it's all pointing towards Bo Rossa. I think ingratiating might have also been in the Sir Rupert Clark betting. I don't think he'll be going there. So, you know, I think I've obviously things change with barriers, and there might be some surprise acceptances. But look, I'm looking at Bo Rossa as the as my top pick for the moment, and we'll see what happens when the fields come out.
0: Well, you mentioned ingratiating there, and speaking of horses that have come back from their two-year-old campaign, looking better than ever, Artorias. And Bruckner there in the, in, in the McNeil, um, really good race, that one. And, look, I know it wasn't the winner, but Artorias was the one that stood out for me. That was a blazing finish.
1: Yeah, I think Artorias is definitely the one there. That was, you know, outstanding run by him. And I thought also in Sydney, in the San Domenico, your Captivant was equally as good. So I think Artorias and Captivant, yeah, they're the two horses you're looking at for the Caulfield Guineas. I might have, oh, I don't know... I was thinking about this today, which horse I would have had a slight leaning to, and I'm, um, you know, maybe thinking maybe Artorias at the moment for the Hill Guineas, but then we also want to see how Converge comes back as well from the Waterhouse Pot Stable. But again, just like Mars Crusader, he was in a position where you know, it was going to be difficult to win, and he's only just fallen short. So a great performance. There's not really much. I want to follow out of this race even though Brooknell won the race I think he looked like he was fit and ready and he's going to go to a race like the coolmore stud and I think there's better horses than him going to go to that race I'll also have as my uh, my stacked horse is general bow coming oh. out of the the McNeil stakes here and that's
0: harsh mate that is really harsh
1: well, well I don't think that I don't think he's a twelve hundred meter horse I think i uh, I've I thought maybe as a three-year-old maybe he's developed a little bit and yeah, his first up run wasn't too bad at 1100 but I don't think he's a 1200 horse I think he's a 1000 so I'll probably second him at the 12th at distances at 12,000 uh, but you know there's not very many thousand meter options for three-year-olds in the spring unless they want to take on the older horses you know in a race like the Moya. so You know, I've still got question marks on whether he's progressed from his two-year-old days because he he won on pure determination as a two-year-old and it's just whether those other horses have caught up to him, you know, development-wise and whether that determination is enough to beat these horses.
0: Speaking of horses that uh, had good two-year-old careers but haven't come back as well, uh, stay inside, mate. What did you make of that run? Uh, obviously, uh, the curse of the Golden Slipper strikes again.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I know that a lot's been made of the, the curse of the Golden Slipper. I think it's before staying inside it was seven out of eight. Hadn't won again since. But in the last 30 years, it's been four, 15 out of 30. So if you take out the last eight years, Golden Slipper winners didn't have such a bad record. It's just in recent times. I think there's the jury is out on staying inside because, you know... From the barrier, they're always going to go back because it's a short run to the turn at Kembla Grange from that distance range because this meeting was changed from Rose Hill to Kembla because of the COVID situation. But I thought, he's, I thought he really did weaken in that last 100. He looked like he was on terms with Pulele halfway down the straight, whereas Pulele has gone on with it and finished through the line. Stay inside really dropped off and... know maybe it's just that lack of fitness could be the the track conditions but i think you you want to see some improvement next start.
0: look if you had a choice of winning the golden slipper or not winning it and having um having a curse if you did you'd still take the win wouldn't you at the end of the day but yeah interesting that um you know it didn't didn't perform well we can we'll have another look at it it's not the end of its career obviously and we'll, we'll see how it goes but um I might just finish off with Corfield. my should have sacked it horse, and the reason that I brought this race up, Big V, is I know that you were on the red-hot favourite, Turath, in race three at Corfield, which, which won quite well. Um, I was on uh, Anavisto, but another horse I just had a little two-bet strategy on was Pinion, and that's the one I'm sacking today. It uh, just does way too much wrong on the run and throws its head around, misses the start, can't keep up, flashes home late occasionally, but it's uh, definitely my sacked it horse, which uh brings a tear to my eye because I've been on it for quite a while. But maybe let's talk about the winner of that race and uh, perhaps Ana Visto's uh, close-up second.
1: Yeah, I was, I was on the winner and I was surprised how short he is. Oh, sorry, she's come up at the end, the $1.60, and they just really wanted to back this one horse. And I don't think the the class in this race, I don't think it warranted being a $1. sixty favourite, but... In the end, it doesn't matter how they win. If they win, you still get a collect. And I thought it was a a good performance by the winner. I thought Galgani eyeballed her and really took her on and took her out of her comfort zone. You know, we had this debate, you know, on the day. I I said that if the two leaders weren't eyeballing each other, Turath would have won this race by panels. But I think Ana Visto was... Watching the replay again, Ana Visto was outstanding, you know, she's a horse to follow from this race. I think she can progress to some of those group races. I think the um, the next race is the Let's Lope at Flemington. I think she's the one to look out for in that race because that was a, an outstanding return up against a, a really fitter opponent. And so, yeah, Ana is one to follow.
0: Uh, it's a perfect segue, Big V, because we will look at our horses to follow now and I think we've covered most of them already in our discussion, but certainly I had Ana Visto up there alongside obviously Artorias after its big return and and also Tefane, for some of the reasons you outlined specifically around the fact that it was boxed in a little bit, probably didn't really stretch out how she would have liked. But just on Tefane actually big V. I thought she'd retired. Did I miss did I miss that memo?
1: Well, she was gonna be retired before her Queensland runs and I think because she's performed so well i I'm not sure. I, I didn't hear that she had been retired. I know that she was going she, she was supposed to be retired, you know, during the autumn winter, mm. but she's she must be going really well, and I think
0: they can get a couple more wins out of
1: her. I think she goes to the Maccabi Diva now, so she's got to step up to 1,600. Um, going back to the, the Memsie and looking at some of the other runners from that race... I think a, a few of these will go to 1,600 now. Uh, Aegon ran well. Uh, Colette is on the way to a Caulfield Cup. Inspirational Girl is one that I want to keep an eye on as well. I think she needs one more run at least until we decide whether we get on her. I think she'll be better at that 1,800-2,000 metre mark depending on which race they go with her. But like her stablemate Superstorm in the PB Lawrence. She just doesn't... She didn't have that gate speed in the memsey like Superstorm didn't have as well in the PB Lawrence. That gives me a little bit of concern because you do want to see horses, you know, jump and find a spot. And, you know, she had barrier three, was out pretty slow and is about second last in the run. So that concerns me a bit. I want to see her again and see if she can jump and show a little bit more out of the barriers.
0: Uh, no, that's a good point, Big V, it always helps in those big races, you've got to have a lot of things go right at the end of the day, and um, you mentioned little little percentages can make all the difference, so so having said all that, Big V, who's your horse to follow from the meeting at Caulfield?
1: Well, definitely, well, definitely Bo Rossa, heading into the Sir Rupert Clark Stakes, and I'm with you on Anabisto, I thought that was a great return, I want to be with her next start if she goes to Flemington.
0: Yeah, I think you made your uh, your point clear with Bo Rosser today. I think you've uh, hammered the point. So, yeah, you think a win is pretty close for that horse after a couple of very close, I guess, losses to uh, Behemoth. One, of course, with its nose over the line before Behemoth. Um, now, Big V, before we wrap up, just wanted to get your thoughts on the, uh, the COVID breach that occurred with a couple of jockeys down on the Mornington Peninsula. Obviously, the most high profile being Jamie Carr, but also, you know, other you know, uh, Premier Hoops, uh, Mark Zahra, Ben Malam, et cetera. What did you make of all that and what's what's the word from uh, the Herald Sun Desk?
1: Yeah, it was disappointing to hear that news and there's been a lot of debate whether three months was fair or unreasonable. Yeah, you know, I thought maybe they might have got a month and at least they can have the back end of the spring carnival. Yeah, maybe even two months, right? Okay, you might miss the, the spring carnival, but you you come back in two months' time, it's... You know that's it's a it's you know it's a harsh punishment, but in these situations you know racing's been able to continue on throughout the whole pandemic, and while we see other people that you know they're having trouble with their businesses they've lost their jobs you know losing their livelihoods, and racing keeps going, you don't want to, you an example needed to be made because we don't want to, we don't want this situation to keep happening and happening because while our state government has been supportive of the racing industry. If if there is public outrage and it grows and it builds, then maybe you know we might get a situation where you know the premier you know decides he all right we'll have to pull the plug on racing if no one's adhering to the rules, and we don't want that to happen. A, a, a statement needs to be made. There's nothing fair about COVID. You know I can get in my car and get caught speeding or run through a red light, and I'm only getting a a fine of a couple of hundred dollars, but I might go somewhere for a coffee and be out of my 5K zone and I get a fine that's a couple of thousand. So when it comes to COVID penalties, there's nothing fair about it. You know, unfortunately for them, they've got to do their time.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there, Big V, especially your comment around the, the industry uh, and the messaging. We saw last year uh, with... Uh, I think the Mooney Valley Racing Club trying to promote a crowd at their event before the restrictions had ended, causing a bit of a bit of an issue and public public outcry around that. And you know, uh, obviously, what they did was wrong, and they've been been dealt with. I guess the penalty itself for me isn't harsh; it's the timing of the penalty that obviously makes it harsh. If this was. In a couple of months' time, mate, they'd be missing a couple of summer months and probably wouldn't care too much. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're right. I think the, the right decision was made, and it looks as though there might even be harsher penalties coming for those jockeys as well, because I they understand they'll have to face the tribunal again because they made some um, allegedly made some misleading statements in their first yeah. submissions. So uh, things could be going from bad to worse for those those few jockeys. Yeah, I I understand
1: that. I think I think it would be harsh if you do add in another penalty because, you know, we don't want to... I think we're starting to become a nation of dobbers and I, I can understand that these jockeys, they didn't want to dob in their mate. And I—and it's always hard to do that. You don't want to be the one that you, you throw your mate under the bus. You know, I, feel, I think it was up to Mark Zara to maybe come out earlier and said, no, I was there and I left earlier. So I do feel for the jockeys there because, you know... If you're in that situation, it's always tough to, you know, to out one of your mates. So I think it would be harsh if you add another penalty for that reason. If it was, if you're giving false evidence to try and cover yourself, you know, that's one thing. But you know, I think when you're trying to not out a mate, I think that's just a natural reaction. You know, it's just human behaviour.
0: Oh, remind me to do something dodgy around you, Big V, because you'll let me off the hook every time by the sounds of it. But I'm gonna dob you in, mate. I'm gonna dob you in for our at shooter back to Twitter handle where you'll be putting up your best bets of the day over the next few weeks. um funnily enough, in our punters club, we've got a little competition between you and me this week, so um, we'll have to report back to the uh listeners next week who came out on top but yep as I mentioned, the shooter back to Twitter handle's gonna get another run, so uh please do jump on there and ask us any questions or uh like our tweets and um yeah. Big V, sound good to you, mate?
1: Yeah, sounds good. It's just unfortunate our head-to-head wasn't at Caulfield when all the favourites were getting up and punters were having a fill-up. We've got to go to Mooney Valley, a much tougher track, and a track that I don't have too much success at. So, yeah, probably a week too late for us.
0: Yeah, it would have been looking great for both of us last week. It wouldn't. There would have been no losers last week. But, yeah, you're right. It could be a completely different story this week at Mooney Valley. There's a lot of rain expected too on Friday, which uh, can only add to the complexity of a of the Mooney Valley uh the meeting. So well we might have to back the Brisbane Lions to win instead, mate. How uh, about we just go to the AFL? Yeah, I
1: was a bit disappointed at how they played against Melbourne. They you know, that second quarter really hurt them. I know they caught back in the third quarter, but you know, Melbourne really nailed some crucial shots in the last quarter, but I just thought they the intensity wasn't there in that second quarter and and the Bulldogs, well, they were played into a bit of form by Essendon. Essendon kicked four goals to half time, and thought, "Yeah, that's enough for the day." And you know, the Bulldogs have run away with a seven goal win when they probably should have and shouldn't shouldn't have. And you know, it's going to be a you know a really nervous game for me, I reckon, Saturday night. It won't be a, won't be a comfortable night, that's for sure.
0: No, I'm looking forward to the contest, Big V. It's uh, an odd year with my team isn't in the final, so I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, how that one pans out, but it, it does look like it's increasingly going to be a Melbourne-Port Adelaide grand final, which will be interesting. But I know you're not a big fan of Port Adelaide, so I won't I won't jump to too many conclusions at this point.
1: Well, at least Port have shown in the last couple of weeks that they've beaten premiership contenders. You know, they beat the Bulldogs, beat Geelong. So, they, you know, that was the criticism with them, that they hadn't been beating any top eight teams, and yet they were getting talked up as know premiership contenders so they've done that in the last couple of weeks and you know that makes a, a lot of difference and you know i think it's panning out it might be a melbourne port adelaide grand final melbourne look really good I, I have to have them as premiership favorites
0: uh you'll warm a lot of hearts saying that big v we might wrap it up there mate we uh delved into a little bit of afl there and i know it's an exciting time for a lot of uh fans so uh, good luck if your team's playing on the weekend and uh, good luck to all the punters and um, we'll uh, we'll see you all next week